0: what the war in Vietnam is all about. Communism was on the march. I knew that when I went to Vietnam I was going to be killed. Never have men served with greater devotion. Explain Vietnam. I can't do it.
1: This is Veterans Voices, memories and stories of Minnesota's Vietnam veterans. I'm Kevin Berger.
0: My name is Fletcher Hines. I uh, volunteered for the Marine Corps in 1968, and uh, did the tour in Vietnam and uh, was injured once and, and uh, came back alive. I ended up uh, serving in the 2nd Battalion, 5th Marines Hotel Company, infantry soldier in the I Corps. On the ground in the country for well, the Marines it's 13 months, the Army it's 12. So you know, just did the tour in Vietnam, and uh, and uh, it was a it was a traumatic experience. But uh, you know, the experience kind of helps makes you who you are today. So uh, in some ways, uh, there's been some positive uh, outcomes from the experience.
1: As I talked to Fletcher Hines, he told me that he was a social worker. He's had his career in Duluth. And I guess I wasn't really surprised when I reflected on that because he has the heart and soul for helping people who are in need, in pain. He wanted to work with other people to help them, but also to help himself. And Fletcher Hines is the unusual veteran who not only wanted to go back to Vietnam just to process it, but also to find a way to be of service to the people there, to return to the enemy that he had been sent to kill, to go to that country and try and help with the rebuilding effort.
0: I think a lot of people uh, believe that people join the military because of uh, some kind of uber patriotism or something, but that was my second year of college going to Upper Iowa college and I was just tired of looking at the cornfields and going to college and I wanted to see the world and as a kid who uh, didn't have a lot of resources, uh, one way to see the world is to join the military and uh, so I, uh, I had a couple of friends who joined the Marines and uh, I thought I would uh, join the Marines and uh, get to see Southeast Asia, so I went to uh, boot camp and infantry training and then went to Vietnamese language school for 12 weeks in Monterey to be a field interpreter and ended up uh, going over to Vietnam in 1969 assigned to the uh, hotel company 2-5 with the Marines.
1: So this idea of seeing the world, how'd that work out?
0: Well, I got to see uh, quite a bit of the, uh, Vietnam, but a, a relatively small area and I, it was basically out in the country, you know, you didn't get to go into uh, the cities or anything uh I was, uh, you know, the I-Corps, or the headquarters, was in Da Nang, and, uh, but as an infantry soldier, as a if you weren't an officer, you couldn't, couldn't go into the town. I wasn't in, uh, in and around Da Nang much anyway, just when I came in and when I left, but we were both basically out in the, out in the patties and, and in the jungles uh, with the people, you know, just the little villages and farms, so my experience over there was a very rural experience. Uh, didn't see any, you know, the villages were probably, you know, eight or 10 hooches, a lot of it was just uh, individual farms and rice paddies and farmers, and you're basically living outside for a year. It's, I tell people it's like camping. You know, you're just living outside for a year, and no tent or anything. You just uh, are in rhythm with the nature. You, you know, you uh, when it gets dark, it gets dark. When it gets light, it gets light. And uh, there's really no clocks or anything. You're just kind of on the move and, and uh, doing different. Uh, Maneuvers and patrols and unit movements and ambushes and uh, basically just out in the out in the country pretty much.
1: And what were some of your duties?
0: Well, as an infantry soldier, the duty is to kill the enemy. So uh, basically, just uh, you know, the company maneuvers. Maybe you'd be a blocking force for another company or something. You know, to try and uh, trap the enemy in between the blocking force and the and the enveloping force. And then just uh, you know, as a squad leader and fire team leader, you know, you're just going out on ambushes. You Basically, you look for the enemy during the day and then you build a perimeter at night, dig in at night, dig, dig foxholes at night and uh, hope that you don't get attacked at night. They, of course, had the advantage at night because uh, we had all the air support and the artillery and everything, so uh, uh, nighttime was a time when you had to be very vigilant. During the day, you just uh, pursued the enemy and, and uh, tried to tried to find them. So, uh, but it was basically just a ground pounder carrying an M-16 rifle and, uh, you know, you also had to carry other things like the mortar rounds and machine gun ammunition. During the rainy season, you carried a a poncho jacket or a rain jacket if you could get one. So, but basically just uh, living outside and uh, trying to track down the enemy is what it amounted to.
1: And, uh, you know, not to put too fine a point on it, but if your job was to kill the enemy, were you successful in doing your job?
0: Yeah, no, I, I uh, uh, killed uh, at least one person I know of, and I, I missed quite a bit, though. I should have paid more attention on the, on the firing range. So, uh, you know, I actually uh, wasn't very... Well, I think when you're in combat, you, you know, you're so excited, and you, you, uh, you tend to just point and shoot, you know, without aiming, because, you know, you're, you're receiving incoming, etc then a lot of times you would uh, shoot into tree, tree lines and stuff, you'd be assaulting through tree lines where you're ambushed or whatever, and then you'd, you'd just be shooting into tree, tree lines, exchanging grenades, and then you'd come through and count the bodies, so a lot of it, you don't really know who killed who, you know, so. Uh, but uh, there was one person I know that, that I killed directly, uh, and the rest were. I don't know, this kind of company kills, I guess you'd call them, you know. It's very seldom that uh, you get a chance to actually look at someone and, and aim and shoot at them, you know, because everybody's, you know, uh, concealment and cover and, you know, you're, uh, the enemy was, uh, they didn't walk around in the open. <laughs> so anyway, but uh, yeah, it was, uh, you know, and that's something you have to deal with morally when you come back is the, is the damage that you cause and the fact that you participated in killing and destruction. and. Uh, those are moral things you have to deal with when you come back, and I think our country doesn't recognize the, the moral injuries or the moral implications of uh, soldiers when they come back and the fact that uh, everything you, did, you were taught not to do in Sunday school, you do over there, and then you're expected to come back and just be like normal, and uh, so the morality of war, I think, is something that I think we skim over a lot.
1: I think as a nation, in some ways, we're still jammed up about this war. And I think for Fletcher Hines to be so frank about his moral injury, I think it's controversial. Not everybody wants to address that. Not everybody wants to acknowledge that. But that was very much part of what he needed to do for himself. How have you dealt with that?
0: Well, you know, I, I participated in support groups, and uh, we started a North and Vietnam Veterans Association in, uh, in Duluth, Minnesota, in 1980. We uh, were able to generate a lot of veteran support out there. We we formed an organization, nonprofit organization, and uh, we provided some support groups ourselves. I was a social worker, and we had some other social workers, so we provided we did support groups for veterans and suicide calls, that kind of thing. We were successful in getting the Veterans Center in Duluth uh, through uh, Senator Boswich at the time. And uh, so that was a big win for us. And uh, so I've been active, uh, you know, trying to be active in uh, veterans' uh, issues, uh, rehabilitation and, and, and uh, readjustment issues. You know, since I got back and continuing to work on you know, trying to see if we can expand the veterans' courts in the state of Minnesota and, uh, you know, trying to get colleges and and uh, technical institutions and licensing and certification uh, agencies to accept more military training towards degrees and licensure and certification, so that the people who serve get a chance to catch up with those who didn't serve. And then doing projects overseas in Vietnam, we've been doing humanitarian projects in Vietnam and Cambodia since 2004. Some of that is just as a personal healing thing, you know. Just uh, it's a personal thing. Uh, myself and a number of other veterans formed a. Another organization, Minnesota Veterans for Progress, and uh, we've been doing humanitarian work uh, in uh, Vietnam and Cambodia. Vietnam because of the war in Cambodia, because uh, you know we had a secret war in Laos and Cambodia uh, after we went through from Vietnam, and we just put a lot of ORDINANCE out there, and a lot of uh, people were killed in, in those and in that in the, during the secret war, also. So, trying to do some work in Cambodia.
1: Tell me about that work.
0: Well, one of the things that we, uh, Minnesota Vectors for Progress, you know, one of the things that we recognize, and I think it's true of all wars, is that, is that women and children are the real victims of war. They really suffer, and you know, the men are out there, and not to, you know, I mean, we're out there doing what we need to do, and, and doing combat, and getting awards, and medals, and everything, but the women and children in those countries that we're involved in really suffer through the, through the impacts of war. So we basically have been doing projects in Cambodia and, and Vietnam, the dress, the dress the needs of women and children. We started out doing water wells in Cambodia north of Siem Reap. around Sin Reap, Cambodia, because that's a contact that we had made. You know, I've been over to Vietnam and, and Cambodia and Laos and Thailand, but we made some contacts over there. We were putting in water wells for uh, communities where they had a lot of disabled, you know, people who lost their arms and legs uh, through uh, unexploded ordnance, etc. So we were putting water wells in the villages out there just to provide uh, safe drinking water for just the rural areas of Cambodia, and we're still doing some of that work today. We built a school in Vietnam, a kindergarten school, and we've supported a couple of clinics and uh, given money to orphanages for building and for uh, just support of the kids. And then uh, right now, uh, we're continuing to work on the construction acti- activation of a sewing center in Seam Reap, Cambodia uh, that will train uh, rural women and, well, young young women, I mean, girls and young women, uh, how to sew so they can make a living for themselves or have an opportunity to make a living for themselves so they're less apt to be sexually trafficked. I don't know, hopefully the next few months. And you know, We just now put a, we've been supporting some ethnic schools in Phu Binh Province, which is the poorest province of Vietnam. And uh, there's three schools there we've been supporting. And, uh, you know, supporting children individually, 300 bucks a year keeps a kid in school. And these are ethnic kids, so they're, you know, they're not Viet people, so they're they're stigmatized and aren't really part of the, the general flow of, of the culture and the economic opportunities that that pre- presents to themselves. So, you know, they live in villages at a subsistence level. They cook over open fires and basic subsistence level agriculture, try and get them in school and get them educated so they can move out of that lifestyle. And um, we put in some sanitation, you know, some toiletry and toilet facilities, and then now we're uh, putting in a bore well with a retention tank uh, to support the schools with fresh drinking water from the streams. And the little kids uh, are have to go up, climb up into the mountains, and bring back, you know, five gallon containers of water. So instead of going to school, they're collecting water. So I mean, water is a huge issue in Southeast Asia, particularly in the rural areas. So again, it's kind of a, a, a veteran, a personal thing about trying to, you know, reconciliation work. And also the idea that if we cared about uh, these countries enough to go to war, or to try and help them out, we should continue to to uh, support and help these people out because, uh, you know, they've made some progress since the war, but a lot of the people uh, in Cambodia, Laos, and Vietnam continue to live subsistence level uh, lifestyles.
1: Has it been satisfying to you, has it, whatever you needed to work on. Has has this been helpful for you?
0: Yeah, the first time I went to Vietnam was in 2004. I went back with another veteran. Uh, the first time we went over there, we did a wheelchair distribution in the, in the uh, Mekong Delta. And um, it was a lot of uh, kids uh, who were, were affected by the uh, spraying of Agent Orange down there in the Delta. We took, took down a lot of the triple canopy with uh, Agent Orange down there, and there was a lot of... Uh, a lot of deformed births, et etc., and and also people who had lost their limbs uh, in the war, or an unexploded ordinance, etc. So just a lot of disabled people along the delta. We did a wheelchair distribution, and then we decided to continue our project. So uh, we got involved in some of the other projects that we have been doing. But the first time I went over there in 2004, when I landed in Vietnam, I was pretty nervous because I thought there'd be a lot of resentment against Americans, etc. And uh, I found out that basically they really liked us, uh, liked Americans over there. Most of the people that uh, you interact with uh, were born after the war. They had a huge baby boom, just like we did after World War II. So people, to them, it's just history, you know? They, they, so, I mean, uh, they liked Americans because they always say we're kind of like the Russians, only we have money. So <laughs> they, they liked the Americans. Uh, so uh, uh, I was very uh, well-received, and uh, I've traveled quite a bit, but I still really like Southeast Asia. I'm sure it's because of the emotional connection I made uh, during the war. You know, when you're in the war, it's a big part of your developmental years, and you leave a part of your heart over there, you know. It's because it was a traumatic experience, so I still really like going to Southeast Asia. and I've been back four or five times, and uh, I'm not sure when I'll go back again, but (laughs) it depends on how much money we can raise, I guess. But, uh, yeah, it's been very helpful for me personally and helped bring some closure to to the... uh, war experience. I went back to Annois, which was the regimental rear for the 5th Marines. And uh, now, of course, there's no indication that there was any. It was like a sandbag city, but now there's nothing there except rice paddies, like the war never happened. So they've really done an excellent job of re- reclaiming the land, and now it's just all rice paddies. And and I scratched my name in the sand and saying, I have returned, etc. So <laughs> it always kind of a close the loop a little bit.
1: So reconciliation is possible.
0: Yeah, it was for me. I, I mean, I, I don't know if it's really driven by guilt or just a sense of, you know, I just want to help these folks because uh, we we're over there trying to help. And we lost the war and there's lot, they suffered a lot of trauma and, and they're, they're, they're great people. They're very uh, uh, warm and friendly and they work hard and they're smart and they're just really good people to work with and uh, you know, I have a lot of personal friends and contacts over there now so it really helped uh, connect me with these countries in a positive way.
1: That was Fletcher Hines, a founding member of the Northland Vietnam Veterans Association and president of the Minnesota Veterans for Progress. In addition to the humanitarian work in Southeast Asia, he's been a lifelong advocate for veterans in Minnesota. On the next podcast, a veteran who is brutally honest about what he saw and felt in Vietnam.
0: Beer is healthy. Beer tells you, Don't be stupid. Be smart.
1: This is Kevin Berger for Veterans Voices Vietnam.
0: Veterans Voices Vietnam is produced by Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities, in partnership with the Minnesota Humanities Center and support from the state of Minnesota. Online at Ampers.org.